Yeah, I mean, where, where I am personally, I'm only speaking for myself. Is uh, you know, it's just time to proceed as 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 normal as as usual. We've done a lot of um, precautionary. You know, we've had a lot of precautionary um, measures th- throughout the last. I don't know. I guess our first, our first. You know, we did two shows at the Speedway uh, here uh, in in uh, in Charlotte Concord area uh, drive-in shows during the pandemic, and then uh, our first show back uh, with like a. That was, I guess, a little more traditional. Was like a, a three night uh, run at the Bonnaroo Farm, where everyone was kind of gridded off in these six foot squares, you know. And uh, and then you know and whatever. It's just been step by step, like, you know, like it's been for everybody else. But now you know, with with touring, my own personal uh, feeling about it is, uh, you know it's it's time for full-on you know touring it's it's time you know if you know we, we very luckily live in a, a a place and time where if someone is uncomfortable in crowds they can uh there's a lot of options to 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 make that personal choice to not be you know in a crowd but there are a, a great percentage of folks that that just want to uh embrace the old way, the, the, the normal way, the natural way of seeing people's faces and, and, uh, having that camaraderie and having that, that communion with each other. So, you know, we've, we've played a lot of shows at this point and some, a fair amount of them have been indoor, you know, whatever decisions people make to mask or, or don't mask or, or attend or, or don't attend. I feel like uh, all of it seems reasonable to me. My own personal take on it is, is, you know, it's, it's time to get back to living. I'm trying to pinpoint the exact moment when this became a political thing. Cause I mean, it is now, right? I mean, there's no, it really did sort of split down the middle the way pretty much everything is in, in the U S at this point. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a, a bigger, a big, a, you know, there's a sub more of a, there's a subtext and there's a, 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 a bigger spiritual sort of challenge at play. Uh, and, you know, one that kind of delves into human nature itself, you know, we have kind of a, you know, we have a, a, a leaning, you know, our egoic minds, they, they, they look for, for enemies. We, we look for, um, us and them, you know, we, we, we look for opportunities to be apart and, and to, to have levels and ranking systems and, and judge, you know, there's so much judgment and, and so much ranking <laughs> and it's, uh, there, there's so much emphasis on, on, uh, on separation and and we can anywhere we can find it i think we 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 look for it anywhere that we can capitalize especially monetarily on on uh you know separating groups out i think we we do it and and we we got to be mindful of it you know i mean the 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 pandemic was was kind of a it was sort of a a, wor- a workshop in that like a like just a, a big massive example of of how anything you know how basically how fear is leveraged for for um for gain you know that for political gain for monetary gain you know there's plenty there's plenty plenty to be said for safety and there's also plenty to be said for profit and and you know you know there's plenty of companies that would love for the pandemic never to end you know (laughs) that would be that would be awesome you know and uh 
yeah, it's a, it's, it's been a weird time. And I mean, yeah, the, you know, it's, just to get back to your question, as far as political division, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a place to pinpoint where that happened, but I would imagine it was immediate. The fact that we do believe it came from China has, has certainly like has fueled that fire because obviously there's a lot of, I would say built in politics and maybe, maybe xenophobia there as well. But what, what's been interesting, maybe interesting is the wrong word, but, um, to watch is, is the way these things are really evolve in real time. And I don't know how much that is a product of social media, but the way people interact with these, these broader issues just mm-hmm. continues to shape itself over time. It does. And it, and it, and it will continue to do so. And, and it, it calls into question how, how seriously you take, you know, that component in your life, you know, what, what, what does social media mean to you? You know, when you close the screen or when you, when you put your phone on airplane mode or set it down, you know, God forbid, uh, for a little while, how real is it still to you? You know, it's an odd, it's an odd moment culturally because we have more opportunity to, to chatter, you know, to chatter away and to, to, um, to be loud and, and, and to be, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, a, a tailor made landscape for loud mouths. <laughs> and, and you know kind of the louder you are the more you are rewarded i guess for for your volume so it's a, it's an interesting time on all that but again all that volume is generally coming through through avenues like this like this one you know ones that are attached to technology so it's really how much of it is real to you how how, how much space do you make for it in your life and uh those are good questions. You know, they're good questions, especially for young people to be asking themselves how much of it is, is real, how much of it has a, an actual, an actual real time um, effect on my, on my life. But yeah, whole lot of talk, whole, whole lot, whole lot of talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately it comes down to the question of, of, of signal versus noise, but I do appreciate it from the standpoint that I, I do think everybody wants a platform to a certain extent, right. That, you know, that people do want it to be heard, you know, and, and, and you've got one, certainly what, you know, even if it's not social media, you know, you do, you are putting something out into the world that is meant to be heard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, but, but again, like it's not, it's, you know, saying that everyone wants a platform or that everyone one wants, you know, a certain measure of attention, you know, not to always read too much in, but I mean, it's, you know, we all want to, to be acknowledged. We want, we don't want to die. We, we don't, we don't want to be forgotten. <laughs> you know, we, we, we want to be noticed. We want to, we want, you know, we want meaningful, meaningful validation and, and, and it's lonely, you know, life is suffering. Like there is no, you, you don't get to be a certain, you know, whatever, if you have a certain amount of money or, or, or you're from a certain background, got a certain color skin, got a certain, you know, advantage or disadvantage. Life is suffering. You know, just you know, the the, the Buddhists they, they say it very well. Like, you know, go, go to them to learn to to learn the best way to articulate it. Perhaps, but life is suffering. We we want not to suffer. We want to feel good, and we want to be noticed. We want to be acknowledged. And uh, social media, I guess, is you know, sort of a, a gleaming example of of um, that of that need uh, of, of how sort of widespread. And, and normal that need is, you know, but I think that, that, that what that speaks to is, is a need for, 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 for God, 
you know, for, you know, and however you might articulate that concept is, 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 is fine by me, but, but, um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's important to kind of look, look beneath the behaviors and, and, and to, uh, you know, try to understand what is, what is driving the, the, the mania, what is driving the frantic sort of nature of that need. I'm finally at a point in my life where I'm like able to have a really consistent meditation practice. It's something that yes. I've tried yes. really hard to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's just for whatever reason, when I was younger, I wasn't able to do it. But I've been, this really relates to, I think what you're talking about in terms of almost a Zen Buddhism of embracing or at very least acknowledging the pain as you're sitting. Yes. 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 I mean, that's, I think that, I mean, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I'm 42. There is a, there's a reason for this stereotypical sort of inventory taking moment, you know, for, for you and I, we, we are, we are at that place, God willing, the halfway point, you know, who knows, <laughs> but uh, we, we would love for that to be, to, for it to roughly be that you and I, of course, we don't know if, if we are there, but, but this is that, this is that perfect time of that inventory taking. And, you know, there's the cliched midlife crisis, but I feel like for everyone around this age and what, what I'm learning, I feel like in real time, and it did start, you know, in, in my late thirties is that there is this, you know, sort of perhaps not sudden, but, 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 uh, a very, a very quick gradual uptick of, um, of interest in, in the spiritual, in the universal, you know, you start looking to, 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 to the Buddhist, you start looking to Christ, you start looking to the Tao. I read the Tao every day. I'm in a meditation practice myself. I, 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 these, these things are more interesting to me than they've ever been. And I could not get into a meditation practice when I was 20, Brian. I mean, that, there's, that was not available. I, I do, I do sort of, you know, more or less subscribe to Richard Rohr's, you know, sort of, you know, this, the falling upward, he wrote this book, falling upward to this, you know, this concept of, and Eckhart Tolle is big on this as well. You know, you build, you build the ego for that first part. And then, then you, then you, and then you are actively trying to tear it down, but, you know, you know, to embrace humility truly, you know, and I could just how painful that can, that can be. It sounds so good. It sounds so awesome to be humble, to, to, to be gracious and to be graceful and, and to, to serve all of that sounds so good on paper, but it's so painful <laughs> to, to let go, to tr- try to let go and to not be so wrapped up in your own story and to not be so, um, eaten up with, with, with being liked and loved and being seen as cool and being seen as, as, uh, whatever, any, any positive, uh, thing that you're, that you're, that the ego is dying to get from these external sources. It's so, it's so hard to let go of. And I've, I've got a long, long way to go, but, but it's a, it's a good question. And I feel like it's a good and natural for like our age. I feel like it's a very natural fundamental consideration given what you do for a living there, there's an element of wanting to be seen wanting to be seen as cool baked into that i mean that's just that's just kind of the nature of the industry so how how difficult is it to decouple those things well i mean i you know i think like in anything else you 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 try to look to those before you who the, you know who you feel have, have perhaps successfully gone where you think you you maybe are meant to go or where you should go or a good place to go and 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 you have to 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 be aware of and acknowledge the arc of a life um 
this this business, like the entertainment business, it is so sort of melted into artistry and entertainment. They, they become melted together if you are fortunate enough to to make a living from your art, right? Um, or at least in this capacity of of you know music performance. And uh, you know, make, make no mistake, my living has been made through performance, not not through making records and releasing them. E- even before the streaming uh, revolution, you still never made <laughs> revolution money. is a very nice word for it in your yeah. case. Yeah, hey, yeah, it hasn't been awesome in some ways. But again, even when you know, like on physical copies, I don't know, it was I, I didn't really, li- you know, you know, perhaps Zeppelin made money on that kind of thing, but like we never really lived in a time where I'm in. You know, even because we were doing it well before streaming. In any event, I've made my li- my living uh, performing in, in 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 a real room with real people. You know, and uh, so not not a, not a ton of of uh, reward or, or you know from like radio play or like placement in movies. You know, and I have friends that have done very well in that kind of realm. But to your point, on the entertainment side of it, there is a great hunger and and desire for. Um, for, for, for looking cool, being cool, being seen as cool, being fashionable, being looked up to by a younger audience. But when we got cranking, I was 21 years old. My How I looked at, at performance is a, was a lot different than how I look at it now. And, uh, and, and so I try to... But again, I'm, you know, that's why, you know, like Greg Brown is, is a big, great example. He's someone we've had very different performing lives, I guess. But there's a lot, a lot that have been similar. And he has managed uh, great, great humility and great wisdom and, uh, and great, uh, great connection to his artistry top to bottom uh, for, you know, 45 year run at making music and sharing it with folks. So, you know, try to look to the elders, try to look to, to master songwriters who have figured out a way to do it at, at every level of popularity. That list of the people that you, as you said, look up to earlier, he, it sounds like he's pretty high up there. No question. And, you know, there, there are, there are others on the list. Tom T. Hall, of course, Doc Watson, you know, John Prown, uh, John Prine, Loudon Wainwright, uh, Tom Waits. I like that you shout out, shout it out Doc Watson. I mean, that's, I just, I feel like he's somebody who just doesn't get yeah nearly yeah. enough love. I saw him before he passed yeah. and it was incredible. He, he, well, yeah, he was, he was incredible. He was an institution, you know, like, uh, like Richard Petty is an institution. He's, he's a, he was a, he's a master and, and a, a, a bridge, but across, across multiple generations kind of coming up as he did. And then being at his full force power by the time of the folk revolution in the sixties, uh, he was at full power, you know, by then. And then he stayed at full power for decades. Yeah. So, Do- and, but see, all these examples, you know, Loudon, Prime, Doc Watson, Tom Waits, Willie Nelson, Greg Brown, uh, you know, geez, I mean, like it's, th- there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more examples, uh, but uh, it, all of the, the, these guys I've mentioned are, um, they had different levels of popularity and all of them, I feel like navigated beautifully through those those varying levels of popularity uh, without being uh, at least noticeably to, as an audience member negatively affected by, by the, the the presence or the lack of of popularity. Obviously, the circumstances are different when 
you've got a bunch of songs sitting in front of you that someone else had written. But I think patience is so deeply ingrained of that in that idea of sitting. And I think that really, I mean, the best art may come from patience, may come from just waiting until the moment is right to sit down and write or to sit down and perform. Yes. I, I mean, I, um, I think it's key. I, I loved, uh, Josh Homme from, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. He, he, I saw a great quote from him at some point where he's talking about how important boredom is. And, and, you know, I, we don't generally think of meditation as boredom. Um, but really I think, you know, the, the underlying, you know, connector there is stillness, stillness, you know, it's, we are, we are inundated in our culture with, with, um, with, with things pushing us and urging us and things beeping at us to, to do something different, close the refrigerator, put the seatbelt on. Like there's always a hum and a buzz and an urging and uh, all of those generally, most of them anyway, it seems like are rooted in, in making money, like hurry up, like play the loud, ridiculous pop music in the shoe store. So when people are in there, they, they, you know, they have like whatever, some sort of like response in their brain, though some studies been done chemically, like play loud, you know, horrible music. And then, then they want to get out and they buy something because they panic, whatever. Like there's just all this. It's all algorithms now. Yeah. It's all, you know, and that's, that's the thing like, and it's unhealthy, like the way, uh, you know, these non-human entities, corporations, whatever they are, they, they look at us as, um, as units, you know, and, and units that can be sort of, uh, hacked and, and, and then figured out how to get the money out of us, turn us into the product, all that plenty of talk out there about that. It seems like there is some truth in it in any event, um, to slow down, to make the deliberate, you know, to have the deliberate choice to slow down. It is, I think it's probably f- unquantifiable, which parts of meditation are, you know, are, are serving you the most in this way. But I know that through, through a, a, a regular meditation practice, uh, creativity is much more at hand, m- much more nearby. And, um, and I think that it's part of it is, is, is just the stillness, the lack of, of, you know, digital signals or any signals. And then part of it is just a, a, you know, a, a, a subconscious, uh, uh, acknowledgement of self-worth. You know, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm worthy of, of a moment alone. I am worthy of a moment of stillness. You know, I don't have to, to, to be uh, a, a tool to someone else's agenda. I, I will, because I care for myself and I care about my well-being. I will t- take this moment. And, uh, and that's a really beautiful thing. And, and it, and it, it is becoming, you know, perceptibly h- harder to, um, to claim that moment. And I, I think it's, uh, and which, which, you know, the beautiful thing about that is that it makes it even more valuable to claim it. I don't know if it's always been like this for humanity to a certain extent, but we've gotten to a point where we don't even know that those signals exist. I I live in I live in Queens, so I live in New York City, and I yeah. went to school in Santa Cruz. I don't know if you know Santa Cruz at all, but it's forest and beach, very be- one yeah. of the most beautiful places on earth, I think. I know. It. And I've been living out here for a couple of years, and I went back for the first time in a long time and I was standing in the middle of the you know the sequoias and the, what felt like a very profound realization at the time was that I hadn't been in absolute quietness hadn't been in absolute darkness and I didn't even realize it yeah yeah it sneaks up on you for years at a time doesn't it it sneaks up on you and and it is it is jarring when when the space opens up again it really is 
And I have something else I want to say to that, but I want to make a quick a back up just a moment for just to, I, I had a, another thought that because I, I didn't really acknowledge this, but I like what you said about, you know, in talking about, you know, standing in judgment and, and the, 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 the judging of others for, for their personal sins or, or, you know, what we hear about from their personal sins. I like what you said about protecting, you know, those who have been hurt by, you know, any, anyone's malfunction, anyone's sin. I like what you said about that. And I, I, I think that I skipped over and I didn't really take the moment to, to acknowledge that and agree with you on that because the decision whether or not to, you know, on, on how, how you treat someone, if, if you, if you know to a, to a, a certainty that someone committed some heinous thing and you know that that happened, I believe that it is, uh, it, it, the right thing is to find a way to continue to love them. But I, but I, I, in tandem with that, I do believe that you, of course, have to figure out how mechanically to, get, you know, get them in a place that's safe for them and safe for the people that they could hurt. Very simply on my end, and at least this is my approach to it, that you you prioritize those the people who were impacted. A hundred percent, and and the the theoretical those that may be, you know, and that's what that's why you know that's why the hard the hard uh, equation of prison is so it's so hard because it's just like, look, yeah, the prison thing is really, there's a lot of flaws in it, but you've got to keep, you know, someone who, who, who is, who is malfunctioning in this way and will, will hurt people and because of their malfunction, you, you got, you got to get them out of the mix. <laughs> you you got to get them out of the mix. And I had this great, this, my brother watched this documentary about John Wayne Gacy and we, we had some very, we had some very, long and 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 meaningful conversations about that because i had this 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 moment in my late teenage years where i read a lot about serial killers it's a very yeah that's a weird thing that i think a lot of us go through i've been there too they're very fascinating but after a while you're like god i gotta get away from this stuff because that information like okay plenty but with with john wayne gacy you know i was saying to scott it's like um in, in in a weird way in a way that we maybe couldn't fully understand you're probably doing him a favor by going ahead and executing him. You know, you like a, a way to love him. Martyrdom you're talking yeah, about. It's, it's, it's maybe a way to help him, uh, obviously to help those, the possibility of future victims. But with John Wayne Gacy, you just got your, this is someone who that they are not, they are not going to be helped in this plane, in this dimension, you know, like not, not in the way that, that you would want them to be. And, and, and letting them go, uh, you know, uh, ushering them out. It's possibly, and I'm not saying it's 100 percent sure. You know, like I don't, I, I, the death penalty, all that stuff is a big conversation as well. But what I'm saying is, there are a lot of ways to love someone, and a lot of way to care, a lot of ways to caretake for someone. And when someone has proven that their malfunction and their own personal version of sin is going to lay waste to, you know, all these women or all these humans, it's, it's, it, you know, like uh, it, 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 it has to be dealt with. Basically, thank you for letting me take a moment with that. I can, I can feel that moment in the Sequoias. I can see that and, and feel yeah. that moment. I've, I've had similar moments up above San Francisco. You know, Muir Woods obviously is a great place to get. That's like a church. You know? But recently, my brother and I stayed in a, a, a an inn and we had a day off. And it was, man, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think we were in Oregon. And we stayed in this, this uh, like this, like this stone castle, like stone house, small little house. And it was built by a fella who was kind of like a mini, he's like a mini Rockefeller, like a mini Carnegie. Farm League Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, de- like ridiculously wealthy for the time, 
not one of the, 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 the massive, you know, not one of the barons, but like, you know, like probably maybe the richest organ I'd ever seen. Like just out it of wasn't, it, okay. It wasn't Hearst Castle then. No, no, no. It, it, it was really cool. It was really, it was small. It was really cool, but it was, I can't, you know, build around, you know, 1890s or something late 1890s. Long story short, uh, it was the off season. It's, uh, I don't know, um, if, it, if there is a time when that place gets packed, it would be really interesting when it is. But me and Scott were the only people staying there. And uh, so we went to the dining room and it's, you know, the place, of course, has electricity and whatnot, but it was absolute stillness. In fact, like, the, you know, a waitress came out of nowhere. I don't even know where the food came from. It was very bizarre, but like it was very, it was dark. The only, the only light in the room was the sunlight coming through the windows and it was completely still a completely still into interior space and i realized man we are so used to all of the humming and buzzing and beeping we have no idea how used to it we are you know and i'll just say i liked it it was nice being in that stillness it was like this is so refreshing and so perfect you know i guess like we're trained to um to champion this forward, you know, quote unquote forward momentum. It's so ridiculous that we have an idea that like, if we're busy all day, we're moving forward. But, um, the, the, the activity of your brain, you know, they training it to be moving, 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 not at all. 30 seconds of this YouTube is plenty moving on to the next one. Like that, that, that ridiculous pace, uh, when it has a, a real chance to settle down without anything, uh, distracting you, it's, it's, it's awesome. And what you felt in, the, in those woods, like that's, that that's a that's 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 us that's like that's like truly feeling who we are uh and it's it's kind of sad how how jarring that can be you know i really wanted to talk to you about something specifically that i think we can tie into this in in in, in a meaningful way I'm sure um, we can we can tie anything into this brian we can do it so I'm like I'm like sensing around the corners right now, and I, and I kind of feel how we could jam this square peg yeah, in a round hole here. Let's find out. You know, you, you strike me as a very thoughtful person. You know, somebody who who is empathetic and tries to find the good in people. Something that I've struggled with myself is, and I think part of this comes from li- you know living in New York City, um, is trying to understand what somebody's been going through that day, what what's led them to that point, why they were an asshole to me. You know, like because yeah, obviously. Sure. Obviously, a lot goes into that, and and trying to really understand where where people's heads are at, and yeah, in my like research, I I guess is maybe a strong word. It, leading up to this conversation, I was, you know, I was listening to some interviews that you did, and I and I stumbled on an episode of Rick Rubin's podcast where he talks about no hard feelings. Have you watched or listened to that yet? I have not. He tells a story about the recording of that song that there was a documentary that came out around the recording of the album and his impression of how things went down changed fairly dramatically after seeing the documentary. So the to to set the scene the vocals were recorded from the song. It was clearly a moment you know done, done in one take. It really impacted everybody and Rick who, you know, is can be a hard person to a hard nut to crack i assume based on what i know about him effectively says you know all right like let's do the next one yeah the two of you leave the room and have the conversation and the conversation that you have is i don't think he understood how 
magical this moment and, and how great it was. And from his point of view, it was, that was really great. Let's capture this energy and let's move on to the next big thing. And that really, again, that struck me as a really profound example of a, of a misunderstanding where, where all parties were coming from a really good place and just weren't able to meet in the middle. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that you're right about that. And I remember Rick being like, all right, what's next? And uh, for me, you know, that was like an eight year journey, like writing that song. And then to record it was, um, it was a, it was beautiful. It, it, it was beautiful. And, and, and Scott was having a different experience. It's, it's just a, you know, I think we can all agree it's a pretty intense topic and a, a pretty intense song. And I think that it's, I think that it should be expected that there are going to be different reactions. Let's pause there for a second. Cause I, I, I love it if you, and I'm sure that you've done this a million times, but I love it if you could explain what the experience of that song is and why it was so deeply personal to you. Well, I mean, well, it's, it's, you know, it's very clearly a deathbed song, you know, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the consideration is the end and the consideration is the, you know, the mystery, the unknowable, you know, and, and, um, I can see you getting emotional just talking about it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, it's funny cause I mean, it's, you know, it's all in the song, uh, or, or generally that's how I see it. Completely but fair. I, no, but I, I, I can say that when I, like when the first moments of it were, were just sort of, you know, being handed to me through my mind and my heart. Uh, I mean, I started, I started crying when I started, when I started writing the song and that's a very weird thing for me. Like, I'm not, you know, like, kind of like the, the concept of a songwriter, like tearing up over a song that they're writing, uh, on paper just sounds just so, so hilarious. But also and, you'd never get anything done if you broke down every time you started writing a yeah, song. It's true, but it's also just like, yeah, it's, I don't know what I mean, but I, I just, I felt quite connected. I felt, I felt, I felt very, uh, you know, I felt, I was aware of the channeling basically. And that's not always the case. And, um, and, and, and then, and then it took like eight years of li- of living for the rest of it to, 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 to flow in. And so it was a long journey, you know, you know, relatively speaking and an emotional one for me, like playing it for Scott and Bob for the first time was, was, you know, was a pretty emotional moment. And, uh, and then, and then getting there, like, it was just so awesome because I was at the time, like, so self-conscious about it and it was so raw and I was so raw over it that I was like, oh, you know, probably the outro is too long. Maybe we may, you know, I was trying to look at it like I would look at any other song. Maybe you were so personally invested in it. Yeah. I was losing my, my sort of my, whatever, perspective, yeah, my perspective. And they were like, no, nah, it's just, it's great. Like it is perfect, you know? And then when we recorded it, Scott was sort of, he was just on another mental kick. He was on this, the, he was on the, you know, the, the topic of, of, of what does it mean to share something like this? What does it mean to be praised for, for making something like this? Whereas my take, and I think you can see it in the movie, I'm just trying to sort of like just skip over it and just, cause I've already been on such a journey with it that I, I'm just kind of like, you know, the idea of profiting from this in some way is not really my business. You know, like I, I my business was, was writing the song, you know, our business this, this evening was recording the song. Now that's over. And but I, but I, but the the sounds that were happening and like Mike playing that wonderful drum beat with it, like all of that was, you know, I had the feeling it was just like, man, this must must kind of like when it was over, 
And I was kind of coming down. It was a harsh landing that Scott was over there in torment because in my mind, it was like, man, can you imagine what it was like being in the studio when Whitney did I Will Always Love You? You know, like that was probably like, to be in the room probably was just an awesome experience. And not to compare, you know, that me to her to any, in any way, but like you get locked in there. Yeah. It was a magical moment that happens. And I didn't really want to come down into a philosophical conversation about artistry versus like, you know, winning basically Scott, Scott's, his, his conflict over that was the concept of like, of like winning, you know, like we, 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 you know, we did, we won, we won one, we did a great job. We won. And that made him feel gross. And I can understand that as a concept, but at the time I was just like, man, we like, let's just enjoy the high. That was awesome. And then I'll be, I'll be cool to move on. But, 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 but it was an emotionally charged moment and, and we were kind of spent. Do you know who Mary Clayton is? Mary Clayton. That's a very familiar name to me, but she's I, a I singer. Okay. She, uh, I had her, I had her on the show a year or two back and she's probably best known for being the female vocal part on Give Me Shelter. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I like real, real gospel singer, just incredible, super powerful voice. And, and the, uh, you know, it's, I won't tell the entire story about her recording it, but basically like she gets caught in the middle of the night, she's pregnant. So like, and they, like yes. when Jagger needs to record something, Jagger needs to record something. Yeah. And there's a moment and, and I don't know if you can like recall this. I'm sure you've like me have heard the song a million times, but there's a moment where her voice cracks, her yeah. voice breaks in the singing. They kind of did something similar to, I'm thinking about this cause you know, you're, you mentioned Whitney and just again, like an incredibly powerful voice, but I get the sense that in the studio, they did something similar to what, Rick Rubin did of just like, all right, that was it. Let's go. And she's like, oh, my voice cracked. You know, my voice, I'm, I'm, I'm very focused. I'm, you know, grew up in, grew up gospel singing, very focused on just perfect presentation. And you listen to it now and it's that vulnerability. It's that imperfection that makes it so perfect. For sure. For sure. Well, the older I get, the more attracted I am to, to that. Because I mean, because now it doesn't mean the same to be perfect. Does it doesn't mean the same thing as it did back in the day? You know, like when the Mills Brothers are recording, like they were perfect, and you can hear it. There was no way to change it. No one could doctor it. You know, Rachel. You know, early Ray Charles. Like, it's going to be a Stevie Wonder. Like, it's everybody in the room is killing it. They're all killers. But now uh, there is so much doctoring and whatnot. We expect everything to be perfect. So the blemishes, the quote unquote blemishes are more attractive. It's, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing, you know? I, I, yeah, I'm the same way. I, and, and, you know, then you'd have to look for like, like that, her voice cracking, that's just this tiny little moment, you know, but like, um, but it's outsized. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it, it means something. It, 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 it hits the heart differently because, because of, of it being something that's unexpected and, and a, a quote unquote imperfection, you know? I mean, I feel like a similar, you know, like if, like listening to like some, there's like some Will Oldham stuff where, you know, his singing is not the, you know, it's not the, like the most pitch perfect singing, but man, does it bring you in or, or the lack of, of clear, you know, the lack of high fidelity in the early iron and wine recordings, you know, like it's, there's just, there's something in it that just pulls you in and it's awesome. And it reminds us that we don't really or listen to whatever blind Willie McTell or Robert Johnson or blind Willie Johnson. Like, that, like there's plenty of recordings that show us that we, what we don't need is more, uh, you know, shiny, glitzy, 
perfect, loudly mastered recordings. In this case specifically, we're talking about, you know, Alan Lomax or whoever, you know, recording in a hotel room and, and recording, you know, 50 songs in a day for, for 10 bucks and doing no second takes. Right. And that, and this Greg Brown record I recorded in hotel rooms, you know, <laughs> I mean, this, this flows right into what we're talking about because uh, now I, I, I'm starting to understand. I'm, I'm really bad about like compartmentalizing. I'm really bad about like thinking, oh, well, this can't be a record because it wasn't recorded. And I, I hold myself to these, these ridiculous sort of um, arbitrary standards in terms of fidelity because, you know, my first recording experiences, like as a 15 year old paying for studio, you know, paying a studio to like, you know, record my band, uh, I always wanted to sound professional. Like I, I wanted to sound professional. I wanted to get things mastered and for them to be, for there to be no like hum or like whatever, but, but because sounding professional when you're that is just, is the same as being professional. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah. And it would, and it, it felt like if I could get that, if I could just get like a loud, clear, you know, well done professional recording, I will have arrived in somewhere or whatever. Like this great Brown record, more or less, it started out as uh, really just a, an exercise it, 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 trying to do something healthy on days off rather than like go into the vortex of you know loneliness and, and all that. Drinking and what? Yeah, anything. It's just, it's just, it just feels so far away. And, uh, and what am I doing out here sometimes? So I just, I just sort of made it like a, like a practice for a little while. And then I was like, yeah, maybe these sounds, you know, Whatever I could live with. See. So, so you know, on this record, you can hear like you can hear birds outside, and you can some, some you know you can hear the air conditioner kick on here and there, um, and that stuff is fine with me now. And I feel like in the world of recorded music, that stuff sounds better than it ever has. I heard you discussing the Elliott Smith recordings that you did with somebody, and you said yeah. something that really that really hit home for me when when I, I was a, as I'm sure most podcasters were, I was a DJ in college at the college radio station. And a friend of mine had a, you know, like a Delta country blues show. And I, the blues hadn't clicked with me at that point in my life. And I asked him, you know, how can you listen to this sad music all the time? How can it not impact you? And and he said something along the lines. And you said something similar in a conversation, which is, you know, this is, well, the way he said it is, it's almost catharsis and, and effectively to put words into your mouth effectively what you said is it's about forming a connection it's about you know as, as you said earlier this um this almost buddhist idea of life is suffering it's connecting with you know elliot smith's experience is obviously deeply personal but also universal at the same time 100 percent. yes yeah and and that's and that is what's in you know that is what you'll find in 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 great sincere blues music and um you know, that's what you'll find with Shannon Hoon and Kurt Cobain. And, um, you know, there, there are countless examples, but Elliot Smith is, I don't know if there is a better example. And I did not know him personally. And so I, you know, I, it's always, I always feel kind of weird talking about it because like the, the torture that he felt is in the, the lyricism and it's clearly in, in how he passed. You know, the way he died is a bit, you know, it's, it's such a tragic and, and such a, a, a horrific consideration. Um, so clearly there was this, this suffering. And it seems that it was, you know, a type of suffering that he could not live through. You know, he, 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 he could not live through it, but he left us this incredibly beautiful music. And uh, I had a, it's, it's funny you're bringing this up. I had a great conversation with a friend yesterday about this very thing. The way that 
and I'm interested to know if this is how it is for, for others, but like at this point in my life, I'm more drawn to Elliot Smith's music and my friend, uh, Jack Deschel, uh, he's, uh, uh, his solo project's name is only son. He's a dear friend, but he's a brilliant artist. Uh, but he, he made the, the analogy or that he made the metaphor of like, Ellie Smith's lyrics are like the air. His voice is like the branch that's out in front, but he's like the older he gets, the more he just enjoys the forest. And, and that, and, and that's, you know, so it's the texture of his the tip voice. of his spear, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like his musicality was like, especially all the stuff he was making at the end, like from a basement on the hill, like his drumming, like just his musicality. Like you just go into this, this, uh, this landscape of just beautiful music. It's orchestral and it's thick it's and lush versus his man. early stuff that was just him and a guitar. Right. Right. And it's, and it's harder to get around just the misery when it's just him and the guitar. Um, but in that later stuff, it's just like, it's Beatlesque, like in all the, all it's a kaleidoscope of, of just emotion and, and beauty. Total aside. If you ever have, if you haven't heard his cover, because, Okay. I can't recommend it. His right. he covers because by the Beatles, and it's just okay. it's incredible. I'll, I'll find it. I'll check it. But yeah, I, I do believe that he's a great example of of of, um, of someone who's you know the pain in their music, uh, the pain in his music. It is a reminder that we're not alone. You know, that's I think that's why we love sad music. It's why I love sad music. It is just a reminder that like I'm not alone in my sadness. I am I'm one of many, <laughs> and and others have, have come before. Others will go after. And sadness is not the only thing, but when you do feel it, it is nice to know that it is that it is that you're not alone in it, that, that it is a universal challenge and a universal uh, experience. You know, and Elliot Smith, he's he there's he proves it in spades. 